Now, last week, you know, we looked at a fundamental rule that God has laid down that really fits through the Old Testament and to the New Testament. And, uh, you know, it's the fact that how, how God is no respecter of persons. You know, in God's dealing with man, one of the great things about God is the fact that we're all on an even playing field with him. He doesn't choose. Uh, there's no caste system, you know, like many of the religions have. Thank you, sir. There's no caste system like many religions have. There's no politics like, you know, most churches have. We talked about it last week. There's no religious hierarchy. There's no pecking order, so to speak. And we were told clearly out of James chapter 2, verse 9, that when a church or a pastor or even a Christian, you know, sets up that kind of structure and violates this principle, the Bible made it very clear that they are in sin, you know, back in the early church history, around 200, 300 A.D., you know, we saw the roots of this begin in the making its way into the early church. When you come through the first seven chapters of the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, verse 6, it talks about the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and the deeds were what they began to do. By the time you get to the Pergamos church period, around 325, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 15, now it's changed to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What started out as a as just a basic uh, thing that was happening now has become a prominent doctrine within the church. And, you know, and the Nicolaitans is a combination of two words. Nico means to conquer, and laos or laity, conquer the laity. And it's simply setting up a priest class over the common man, which we find the beginning of that idea you know, that God has some kind of respect over other people, leaders, spiritual leaders, or people over the common man. And, of course, that's simply not true. In time, obviously, through the century, it was developed into a, the heresy that it is today, that elite mindset that there are people in churches, pastors, you know, deacons, teachers, whatever, people of status, money, who are better than the common person. And, of course, that's just not the way that it works. You know, and you saw it, if you know anything about world history, you, you saw it down all through history, even in the secular world, in the Dark Ages. You had the feudal system, you know, where you had the lords and the nobles that were over the peasants. You had the, um, you know, all of that taking place. And today, in, in most churches, as we saw last week, it's the, uh, you know, the lords, uh, oh, the lords, the pastors, and the nobles, the rich and famous, uh, over the common uh, so-called peasants, the common people. And uh, that's just the way that it's worked. And I, I showed you in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, that in a church, it has one fundamental basic thing that it does. A lot of different aspects to it, but fundamentally, it is a manifestation of truth. Putting out the Word of God clearly, plainly, where everybody who wants it can get it. And it leads to an accountability system across the board for everybody. Nobody is above the law. Nobody is higher and doesn't have to deal with it. We saw that last week too. And then I took you to a great teaching found in Leviticus chapter 13 where you find that leprosy uh, is a type of, of sin in the Bible and how that, uh, you know, leprosy came in three stages in the Old Testament and it, it forms a great practical uh, application for us. They had this leprosy that started in a person's flesh and then it spread and got into their clothes, and then it got into the very framework of the house that they lived in. And what a great picture that is of how sin in our lives starts with us, 
that it gets into our clothes. That is the changing of our lifestyle, acting and dressing and talking and being like the world, and ultimately gets into your house and destroys your family. And, uh, you know, it's just a great concept. Now, today, we're going to take just two more verses, and it ties into last week, and as all these verses did. And we're going to pull together a few more verses as we come through chapter 28. And I want to read for you Proverbs chapter 28, verses 24 and uh, 25. So let's, uh, let's read it together. It says, Whoso robbeth his father or his mother, and saith it is no transgression, the same is the companion of a destroyer. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall, uh, shall be made fat. Bob Gregg, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on the service this morning for me? Thank you, buddy. Now, there will be something here for all of us today. I don't care if you're married, young married, single, old, middle-aged, not old, middle-aged, old, older, middle-aged people, or you're in your senior citizens, much like myself, who enjoys the senior coffee going through McDonald's for just 59 cents. <laughs> There'll be something for everybody here today. And, uh, you know, uh, especially uh, for you young parents, who are just now breaking in, getting married and having kids. We've got a host of them. It seems like every month there's another baby born, and that's great. We, if we never win another person to Christ, do another missions trip, or ever have another outreach program, we're going to grow just by all the kids that are getting born here. But that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, uh, and so there's something for everybody here today. And I, I want us to all find what we need to find here. This is a great passage. It it's opens up a lot of avenues for us. And, um, you know, for sure, uh, you can make the case in a physical application for verse 24 of children in a family literally robbing their parents. You know, it happens all the time, and many times over the years I've been called in to deal with it in different situations. As parents, you know, get older, um, they have, uh, if they do what they're supposed to do, they, they have a good savings, you know. They have money set aside for their latter years kids sometimes will, will take advantage of that, you know, and they'll get money from them and with no intention of ever paying it back. They look at it as kind of like their own private slush fund and they can talk mom and dad into everything. And this will happen quite often. I remember a number of years ago, this has been 20, 25 years ago, I knew a guy who his mother had a lot of money and he convinced his mom that she had to invest some of that money to make money on it. She trusted her son, and she said, I, okay, that's a good idea, son. What, how do you want to do it? And he says, Mom, the best way to get a return on your money is to buy a Corvette. <laughs> Corvettes never go down in value. Corvettes will only increase in value. So he talked his mom into buying the Corvette. Guess who drove the Corvette? It was not his mom. And I see things like that all the time, you know, and I guarantee you when... Uh, he probably drove it long enough that his mom, bless her heart, passed away. And then, uh, oh my, it's all mine. So I know how that works. You know, uh, so, uh, I've seen both parents. Sometimes they'll die together in an accident or maybe, you know, close together, especially older, older, older couples. You know, one dies and six months later the other one passes away. And, uh, you know, and a kid will know, you know, what his parents has. 
and uh, he or she uh, will get into that house before their bodies are cold, you know, and they'll take everything out of there that is of any value. And, uh, you know, the parents foolishly have trusted them and gave them the combination to the vault or safe or however they keep their stuff, safety deposit box. And, you know, they've got guns in there. They've got, I've seen it where they've had bags of gold coins that the dad was buying gold for 35 years. He's buying gold coins when gold was, you know, $250 an ounce. Try it today. And, of course, there'd be bags of them in there, silver, jewelry, all kinds of valuables. You know, and when the estates folks showed up uh, to take inventory for all of the family, um, you know, the, nothing left. It's all gone. But the guy's driving around a brand-new red pickup truck. You know how it works? It just works that way. And I've seen that, you know, even uh, not even wait till they're dead. I've had them where they've been in hospice, you know, and they know they're not coming home, and the kids are just, you know, uh, they're seeing mom and seeing dad, who's the last one, maybe on Friday during the day, and then they're all over to the house, you know, casting garments, the garment, you know, how it does. And it's crazy stuff. So you can definitely make a case for that kind of robbery of your parents, but that's not what I want to preach on today. I want to tell you that, but within the context, and we've got to stay within the context of chapter 28 in the Old Testament scriptures, and also the New Testaments too, this robbing of your parents is something else in a spiritual sense. It's about children robbing their parents of the honor and the respect that God has clearly laid down in the Old Testament uh, to be obedient to and to honor your father and your mother. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. Most of God's people today in the New Translations, they think that's the Ten Suggestions. It's not Ten Suggestions, it's Ten Commandments. And one of those commandments, the fifth one, by the way, is honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee. And if you won't do that, and in the Old Testament, they robbed them of that. Then Exodus chapter 21, verse 17 was the cure for that. He that curses his father and mother <coughs> shall be put to death. And that's the way it worked. When you get into the New Testament in Matthew chapter 15, <coughs> verse 4, he puts the two of them together here and he says, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and he that curses his father or mother, let him die the death. Didn't say let him just die. It said the death. There's a particular death that he's talking about here, and that is in the Old Testament when you robbed your parents of that honor and that God intended them to have and disrespect and obeying them, you know, they, they were put to death. And, and here's how it worked in the Old Testament as to robbing your father and your mother. In the Old Testament, if you had a rebellious son or a rebellious daughter, uh, who would not uh, bring or give obedience and honor to the father and the mother and live their rebellious lifestyle. Now, I got to stop here for a second, and you want to write down 1 Samuel 15, 23, because there it says that for rebellion, as far as God is concerned, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So now we have a scenario where a rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And now we know that in the Old Testament, rebellion is a serious thing to God and there to be killed. What happened was if you had a rebellious son and he would not obey, it would not bring honor and he wouldn't do what he was supposed to do, <coughs> you bring him into the elders. 
The elders confront him. Elders give him a chance to make it right or get it right. If he does, everything is great. If he will not, then at some point they take him out and they stone him and they kill him. I've always thought it was interesting that, you know, how that many things that we use in the world that we have no idea, and really the terms don't even make any sense to the world system, always go back to the Bible. In the Old Testament, when a kid was rebellious, did his own thing, he got stoned. In our world today, when a kid is rebellious and gets to the world and gets high on drugs, why in the world do we call it getting stoned? Because in the Old Testament, that's what it led to. You cannot get away from the Bible anytime you want to try to get away from it. You know, everything will come back to the Bible. And it's one of those things where, you know, it, it, seems, it seems harsh and, and way over the top to, to most people, you know, until you see the importance of God uh, and uh, importance to God in understanding how it worked in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God is establishing a literal, visible kingdom. We know it as the kingdom of heaven. And God tells us that through the nation of Israel, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and then again in Genesis 18, 18, that all the families and all the nations of the earth are going to get the blessings of God. It's going to start with the families, and in time, it's going to affect a nation, and they're going to get the blessings of God. And that salvation depended on the nation of Israel and their family staying close to God and tied into God, and their children would take his kingdom on this earth, uh, the inheritance, on and on through all the generations. The Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 20, the salvation is of the Jew. And we have now a picture. And, of course, you see it. Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob, his son Joseph. It follows a family line through the Old Testament. And you remember where it all started. It started with Abraham. He's known as the father of the Jews. And the key ingredient that God told us of why he picked Abraham in the first place was the fact that he would command his children. Genesis 18, verses 18 and 19, he said, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And you know what God had spoken of him? That his seed would go out through the ends of the earth and be like the stars of heaven. God was going to reach the world in the Old Testament through families. And families are made up of children. And it's a situation where the whole key to God's reaching the world was, was built on a, a family with children. And when they got rebellious, it destroyed everything that was God trying to do. As went, the, as went the families, so went the nation. So in the Old Testament, there is a zero tolerance for the rebellion of children because when it allows it, the whole system broke down. You lose the kids, you lose the family, you lose the family, you lose the nation, you lose the nation, you lose the mission of God and the ministry. And it's just that simple. Now this verse is, and its principles will carry right over into the New Testament. 
I know, I know, and I say it all the time on Thursday night that there's many differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of the things in rightly dividing your Bible and figuring it out will simply be knowing and understanding what the differences is between the Old Testament and New Testament that you don't confuse them. But it's also true that there are many things that are the same, and this one is one of them. Where in the Old Testament, God was establishing a literal kingdom of heaven and using families uh, uh, in a temple worship situation in Jerusalem to reach the world and carry his plan. In the New Testament, the church aid, God again is establishing a kingdom, but it's a spiritual kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. By a body of believers within the family unit that God wanted to take the gospel through families to the ends of the earth. We've talked about it many, many times. The key for you is to have within your family an unbroken chain of ministry. Because in the New Testament, just like the Old Testament, that's the way that God was getting it done. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was the parents training up the children to honor mom and dad first through the structure that you provide for them. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And then as you train them to honor and obey you, then in time you transfer that honor and obeying from mom and dad to God himself. And the whole family stays united together to accomplish that and from generation to generation and never drop the flag of ministry that it continues on, 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 on it goes. You know, and I get it. Many, many parents uh, uh, fail in this. Uh, they go 10 or 20 or some years, you know, uh, bringing up their kids in a bad, unbiblical situation and then they have, they have tremendous issues. And it's a thing where the whole system breaks down. Now, in Old Testament Judaism, one of the things that you have to understand about the way it was set up in the Old Testament, that Judaism was all-inclusive to the family. It wasn't a fact that (coughs) they grew up or got born into your family and decided what church they were going to go to. It wasn't like that they got born and grew up and decided what they were going to do for God. No, no, no. It was a cultural lifestyle in the Old Testament to have born into God's nation, to have everything from the very get-go. Those children knew nothing else but the Old Testament promises. That's why the Jew knew so well the Old Testament. Their whole life was built around the Old Testament, just like, you know, it, it became everything in their life. It became like their vocabulary. It became like the center of everything that they learned. And it was a nation that in a cultural sense, physically, incorporated everything in the family and the life to God. And that's exactly, exactly the way it should be with our children in a spiritual sense. Christianity is a lifestyle. It isn't something that you do four or five Sundays out of the year or every other month, or whatever you want to do. You train those children that it is the central thing in their world, and it becomes that because, here it comes, it becomes the central thing in mom and dad's world. And you're going to see that New Testament Christianity should be just like that, a lifestyle. And I know, I get it. You know, I get it. You know, some of you parents got here late. 
You know, uh, my goal is to obviously is to help the parents that come in late. Maybe uh, they they the kids are in teens now and they're struggling. Uh, many times, you know, that happens. And my job is to help put all that together. My other job is for all you young couples who are risk now having kids to make sure you have everything that you need. I can't move in and make you do it, but I can certainly give you the tools that you can do it with. Either way, there's always something that we can do. One of the great things about God and Christianity, and listen to me on this, one of the greatest things about God and Christianity that sets it apart from the world, that in the world, there will be some times in your life where there is absolutely nothing that you can do. You're done. That's not true with God. Because with God, there's always something you can do. I don't care how bad your scenario. I don't care what the circumstances are. I, when I stand up here and I talk about parents who have lost their kids or this, I'm not saying that to blast anybody. I'm telling you and saying that because whatever situation you find yourself in, there's always something that you can do. The question is not what can you do. The question is, <laughs> will you do what you need to do? There lies the, the question. And you'll see that your family, I'm telling you, dads, I'm just going to speak to you. You ought to look at your family just like I look at this church because you are the pastor of your family. And the only question today is simply this, what kind of pastor are you? And the attack today, everybody says it all the time, you know, and it's true. The, the family is under attack today, but the family is not under attack today any more than it was in the Old Testament. But I want to tell you, yes, the family is under attack. And if we want to blame the poor old devil for it, we'll say that the devil is attacking your family. But let's just get specific. He's attacking it through the father. Don't get the idea that he's doing it through drugs. Don't get the idea that he's doing it through the world. Don't get the idea that he's doing it through the friends that you let. If he's going to get your family, he's going to attack it through the father. Just like if he's going to get this church, he's going to attack it through the pastor. What would you think of me if I got up next week and I had an NIV? And I started teaching you and handing out literature on predestination? And I started to tell you that you can lose your salvation? And I would, and I would come around to some of you and say, I'm really worried about you? Would you respect anything that I've got to say at that point? And if, that, if you bought into that, if you believed that, if half of this came became Calvinist and this path over here suddenly spoke in tongues and this crowd over here thought you could lose your salvation and it, it would destroy everything. You know what keeps this church solid through the book? A singleness of mindset in preaching the truth and the manifestation of truth. And the moment you lose that, that's where the devil comes in. And when you lose that in your family... He's at the front door. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. Did you ever notice that all the great Bible verses on training up your children are all found in the Old Testament? Did that ever strike you? And it's because that's where it all starts with the nation of Israel and the families. Now, here's a verse I'm going to give you that every parent ought to have down, and you ought to look at it every day of your life if you have young kids. And it's found in Psalm 71, verses 15 through 18. And here's what it says. My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day. 
for I know not the numbers thereof. Now, what he's simply saying there is what he's talking about in Psalms chapter 90. You don't know how long you got in life. So every day I'd account for you to show forth God's righteousness and his salvation. Verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even thine only. O God, thou hast taught me, here it comes, from my youth. That's the way it was in the nation of Israel. From the very time they were born, they were indoctrinated with a Jewish mindset of God, the Old Testament, the law of Moses, and sacrifices, and everything. It wasn't an option for them. And in your life with your family, as you get them saved and bring them up, those young kids, it should not be an option there either. You're the one who makes it an option. Verse 18. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and the power to everyone that is to come. This generation, that's your family. That's somebody understanding that from their youth they got the truth and now they're going to make sure that everybody in their generation gets it. You want to add to that? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he was old he will not depart from it. You don't raise children. You raise rabbits. You raise cats. You raise dogs. You raise carrots. You raise cabbage. You train children. And that is the concept taught all the way through the Bible. Psalms 127, verse 4. Again, the Old Testament. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You bring somebody up here with a bow and arrow and put that clock back there on the wall, and he's good, he can hit that thing right in the middle. In other words, wherever he's so good that wherever he launches the arrow, he hits the target. Your children are just like that. You take them and you take them in the bow of life and you shoot them toward heaven or hell, serving God or not serving God. The attack on your family starts with the father. Psalms 127. Our children are the heritage of the Lord. Oh, how we get that wrong. We think they're our heritage, the heritage of your... No, no, they're God's heritage because God intends for you to carry on the ministry through your family for him to reach the world just like in the Old Testament structure, this time through the church from generation to generation. Now, the basic, fundamental basic for training your training program for your child, as far as I am concerned, is Proverbs chapter 1 through Proverbs chapter 7. And you will find within that, and I never really taught that to you because I was hoping that somebody would pick it up, but nobody did. So I'll give it to you now. You'll find within those seven chapters 15 times where he says, my son, before he ever gets into the Proverbs, which are the issues of life, he gives his son 15 things that his son needs to know. And I would simply tell you, young couples who are having kids or thinking about having kids or want to have kids, at some point you will, you will lay this as the foundational basis for what you do in your training program. Fifteen areas that he addresses to his son in training up your children in a cultural lifestyle called Christianity. For years, 
I, I gave you the five stages of training up your children and, uh, you know, uh, to be God's heritage. And we talked about the discipline stage and the relationship stage and the fellowship stage and the responsibility stage, which all leads us to the ministry stage. And I, I've showed you many, many times, it's on the website, you've in the books back there, how that you incorporate those and you blend those together through a process of training, how to build them into your family. And so many of you have done that. I mean, I look at your kids, boy, and I'll tell you what, you have got some decent kids. They're really doing what's right. And, you know, so many of you have done it. And at the same time, so many of you are trying to do it. You know, I never care if your kids have issues. Every kid is going to have issues. For me, it's never about the kid having issues. It's about getting the parents fixed. And if we get the parents fixed, in time we get the kids fixed. You give me a mom and dad on my side with the Word of God, and I don't care whatever your kid is or whatever, it's a guy or a gal, we'll win one way or the other. That's the way it works. And, you know, and I, I've seen so many parents that have, over the years have made terrible mistakes with their children. And, you know, sometimes they, uh, you know, they, they, they get, as I said, they get in late. They come to church. Their kids are in their teenagers. They're having issues with them. I'm telling you right now, there's always something that you can do. Your kid may rebel against you, but they are not going to rebel against the solidarity of a church that has the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that's going to hold them accountable. The question is, what page of this manual are you going to get on? Now, I realize that sometimes parents have completely lost their kids. The kids don't want to go to church. They don't want to do anything. I get that. And here again, when it comes to the Bible and God and Christianity, there's never a time when you simply say, there ain't nothing we can do. There's always something can you. And just like there's five stages of building into your kid from day one, when you find yourself in the second scenario, there's also five stages to restore your child to your family. There's always something that we can do. There's always a, a road to fix it because the bottom line of the church and Christianity is restoration. Uh, that's not true in the Old Testament. The bottom line in the Old Testament for rebellion was a rock pile. But I'm going to tell you something. Blaming your failure as parents on your kids will never work. Or somebody else. Ownership is where it starts with your family. Ownership is the key. Luke chapter 19, verse 18, you have what I call the Zacchaeus principle. And in the Zacchaeus principle, there's eight great principles. My, my, my. Eight great principles on what somebody has to do to fix something that is really, really bad. You know what the Zacchaeus principle teaches without getting into it today? It teaches us that sometimes just saying I'm sorry is not enough. It's the fourfold concept. Zacchaeus said, if I've taken anything from any man, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Why? Where was the basis for that? Did he just make that up? Did that sound good? Is there a biblical precedent for that? 
Ah, when you get into the Zacchaeus principle, yeah. And when a child today doesn't honor his father and his mother the way the Bible lays out, I'm going to tell you something, kids. You don't honor and obey your mom and your dad. It's a pipe dream to think you're going to honor and obey God. Because you can't separate the two in the Bible. You just can't. And he will rob his parents. She will rob her parents. You'll rob your parents not only of the honor and the respect of the obedience that God said that you're to give to them. I'll tell you what else you'll rob them of. You'll rob your mom and dad of peace because there will always be a conflict with you. But every four, five, six months, something else will blow up. You'll bring him into the preacher and the preacher will give it on him and you'll put some people around him and he'll make all of his little promises or her little deals. And you know what? It doesn't last because it isn't real. Because the bottom line with you kids, all of you, the bottom line with you kids, let's just put it on the table. The bottom line with you kids, why you won't do what's right, you don't need any more Bible verses. You don't need a team of people around you. You don't need people bringing you through the Bible and giving you principles. Do you know what you need? You need to understand that the root of your problem that you have is because you're not honoring what your mom and dad are saying. You think you're doing it your way, and you actually believe that you can get all the Bible verses, all the great teaching, and still fundamentally disobey mom and dad, and God's going to be okay with that. You're out of your mind. I'll tell you something else. They'll rob you your time. All the time that you could be serving the Lord and doing something for God, you've got to be wasting it on dealing with kids with their problems. Issue after issue after issue. You want to read your Bible and you can't because you're all upset because you got this issue to deal with. You want to come out to Bible study and you can't because you got to deal with this. You want to get into a ministry, but you can't. Rob you of your time. I'll tell you something else. They'll rob you of your money. Court costs, lawyer fees, Fines, breaking things that you have to pay to fix. I'll tell you something else. They'll rob you of a peaceful family life with the other kids. It'll be the domino effect. The older kid will always teach the younger kids. And if you put up with it and allow it, and you've got five, six, seven, eight, ten, twenty, thirty, forty kids in your family, you can just watch the first one go, the second one go, the third one go, right down the line until you step up and put an end to it. I'll tell you something else. They'll rob you of your sleep, won't they? They'll lay awake all night worrying about where they're at, what they're doing. Praying for them, asking God to turn it around, asking God to don't bring them back from the world. Oh, I know. I've been there with so many parents over the years. Are you kidding me? And I'll tell you something else. They'll rob you of your credibility. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says that if a man doesn't take care of his own and provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4 says that, you know, if he, he, he doesn't know how to rule his own house, how in the world is he going to rule the house of God? And yet, here again, I go back to last week. We love to pick and choose what we want. 
I know pastors out there. I know people out there. I know pastors that are pastoring churches that are the kids are out in the world. They're nothing. They're not in their church. They're not in any church. They're not doing anything at all. And they think it's still okay to pastor. But somebody else over here will have a problem and they'll drop the hammer on them. You know what? It's across the board. It's clear. I've watched people all my life. I know how human nature is. Some people will get out there and they'll talk about, praise the Lord, doing this and doing all this great stuff to blow the smoke up in the air. You know why? So nobody will look down and see that your kid don't go to church anywhere. For me, I learned that lesson years ago. I don't look at what you're saying or what you're doing. I just ask the question, where's your kids this morning? Where are they at? And the last part of verse 24, the kids, and they'll say, it's no transgression. They don't even care. They're so insensitive to the things of God. They're so insensitive to anything that's going on. They don't care anymore. This crowd we talked about a couple of weeks ago is found in Job 21 and Job 22. They don't care about the things of God. They don't care. They're rebellious to everything. But it all started with their rebellion to mom and dad. And mom and dad allowed it. You'll train your child to be a giver or you'll train your child to be a taker. Get over to Ephesians chapter. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. I want to show you something. This is going to ruin a lot of sermons. Ephesians chapter 6 is the great chapter on the whole armor of God. You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against prince of powers and powers, spiritual wickedness. You know how that great chapter is. Now, when you get over in verse 10, it says, And finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And what happens here is he comes down through seven pieces of armor. And the whole chapter is built around, or the first uh, 20 some, uh, uh, 10 through 27 is built around one concept for the child of God to take his stand for God. Three times he tells you that. Four, excuse me, four times in three verses. And then he comes down and he says, loins girt about with truth. What a great sermon that is. Breastplate of righteousness. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, that's great. Get out there and Tell them about Jesus. Shield of faith. Helmet of salvation. Sword of the Spirit. Praying always. You see, every one of those is a sermon in itself. And this is what we preach to be a real soldier for Christ. This is what we preach to be a warrior. This is what we tell you you need to do to put on the whole armor of God. You get your loins girt about with truth. You get on the breastplate of righteousness. You get your feet shod. You get the shield of faith. You get the heaven of salvation. You get the sword of the spirit. You pray without ceasing. But most people never see where all this warfare starts, where it begins, and your stand for God begins. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Here's where it starts. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nourishment and the admonition of the Lord. There's where it starts. Who cares about the armor of God if you're not going to obey your mom and dad? Who cares about the loins girt about with truth? Are you kidding me? The breastplate of righteousness. Is that a joke? Feet shot? Are you kidding me? 
It starts out, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It says it's the first commandment with promise. You know what the promise is? If you don't keep it, God's going to kill you. That's a good promise you ought to put in your Bible. Let's see that around a campfire some night at camp. Give me your favorite promise. God's going to kill me because I didn't get right at camp this week. That'd be a good one. Verse 3, that thou may be well with thee and may live a long life on the earth. Let me tell you something. Every problem, listen to me, kid. You can blow me off whatever you want to do, but I'm going to tell you right now, every problem you've got, every problem you're going to have and the depth that it's only going to get worse all goes back to one thing. You forsaking the fifth commandment and not honoring your father and your mother and not obeying your parents. Notice how in chapter 6, verse 1, he tells you the two words, obey your parents and honor your parents. He's talking about honoring them by obeying them. Then verse (laughs) 4. Verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Wow! You know what, Dad? I'm going to tell you something. You have no right to get upset with your kid about anything. And you certainly have no right to provoke them to wrath. You know why? Because whatever they are is what you trained them to be. They are exactly what you made them to be. Now, I know you're going to have some bumps in the road. I get that. But I'm not talking about that. And you know I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the time in your life and my life where we have kids who they just simply want to go their own way and do their own thing just like we did. Just like we did growing up. And I'm telling you right now, that Bible says in this taxer of obey, fathers provoke not your children to wrath because they are exactly what you made them to be. And then over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, I'll just throw this in for you guys, for the ladies here. He says, wives too. Husbands, be not bitter against your wives. I find a lot of husbands that get bitter toward their wives, like I find a lot of dads that get, right, get vengeance toward their kids and provoke them. And you know what? In both cases, you have no right to do that as a father and as a husband. You know why? Because whatever your kid is and whatever your wife is, it was your church pastor. It was your church. And I say that fully knowing that many of God's people in my life over the years, hey, you know what? You made your mistakes. You lost some of your kids. They got into the world. But you know what? When you came here or you got in my ministry at some point, you decided to fix it. And we put a plan together and we're right on track with that plan. And the problem is not me or the plan. The problem is you following the plan. You see, you want to get blameless with your children. Blameless is the big word today that nobody understands. You want to get blameless with your children. And the only way you can get blameless with your children is to go through that five-step process to reinstate them, even if they don't get reinstated at that point in time. You walk away from it doing everything that you needed to do. And it's a simple thing, but boy, in all my years of what? Almost 50 years in the ministry? I've only had two fathers ever do it. Only two. Only two. I'll tell you what. I had more respect for those two men than anything out there because they took their responsibility. They did exactly what they needed to do. And in both cases, their kids are in church with them today. Because it works. 
And I'm telling you, all this about the armor of God and serving God and standing up for God and being a soldier, you know where it starts? It starts with you obeying your parents. Now, for all you kids here today, when you rebel against your parents, you rob them. For they are the key to God reaching the world by training up the family. And I know, sometimes I get it. You come to the point where the family, mom and dad, wasn't where they needed to be, but now they are and they're doing it. I get it. I I understand. And you know what? You need to understand this message today that you need to get your head out of wherever it's at and realize that God is not going to allow you to do that because with your rebellion comes a promise. And when you fail to see and understand the value of your parents, when they try to do what's right and they're working in a structure to make it happen, then you rob them and now become a companion to the destroyer. You'll tear down and destroy everything in the family and rob them of the blessings of God. You know, and, and, and spare me, spare me, spare me. I, I, I don't want to hear it that, well, my parents were so bad and this is now the way that I am. I, I, I don't really want to hear that. I get it. I get it. I get it. I realize, and some of you understand, I've had to be parents to you. I've had to be your dad. I, I've had to be there for you because your bad dad was a bozo and an idiot. I've had to be there for you. You came into this church and you had nobody. And we built a relationship, and I saw that immediately. And you re- I reached out to you, and I've been the dad to many, many guys and gals down through my ministry. That's one of the things that God has called me to do, because I understand how valuable that is. And I don't want to hear that, you know, my parents were bad, but that's just the way I am. You listen to me, you werewolf. This church is filled with young men and women who had terrible parents. Some of them were saved. Some of them were unsaved. And you know what those kids did? They decided to break that cycle of sin in their life. They said to me, Bob, I'm not going to go on with this. I'm going to make sure from this point on in the woman I marry and the kids that I raise and train and the people in my generation down the line I'm going to break that cycle of sin and I'm going to start the cycle of ministry. So I don't want to hear it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. We have no excuse for staying the way we are. The only excuse we have is this is where I want to stay. Some of you will remember, (laughs) I hope you don't, but you'll remember that family we had here, I don't know what, four or five years ago. I think they've been in every church in Kansas City. They came in, you know, and, uh, oh, you know, same old, same old. Everything was somebody else's fault. Their kids were a mess, but that was somebody else's fault. They never took ownership of anything. And they whined about everything. I would get, I would watch this lady get on Facebook and she'd talk about that, you know, they needed this and they didn't have that. And she'd pour this thing out there on Facebook 
all of this stuff that they needed. And then when some stupid fool gave her what she needed, she'd get on there and thank God for what he had done. Do you know the only time you can really know that God was the only one who did it? Is when you have a need and you don't say nothing to nobody except him. I told her one time, you know what, darling? If you got into his book as much as you were on Facebook, you'd be doing a lot better off. She'd always go around saying, well, my family's, oh, oh, you know. Now, I know the devil's going to the lake of fire, and I'm glad about that. But I want to tell you, that poor old boy gets blamed for a lot of things he got nothing to do with. <laughs> it was always, well, you know, the devil's going to destroy my, destroy my family. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something. If your family gets destroyed, don't blame the devil. I guarantee you. He'd take one look at your family and he'd be in Iran. <laughs> so only one thing, one person. One identity that will destroy your family. It's the parents. That's all. I know it's convenient. I know. Flip Wilson years ago, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. It's a convenient thing for you, for all of us, to blame our problems on somebody else. Ownership. It's yours. Quit whining about it. Quit blaming everybody else for it. It's yours. You own it. My old drill sergeant used to say, it's a blank sandwich and everybody's going to take a bite. You say, you shouldn't talk like that. Greatest truth you'll ever hear. Hey, look. Kids, you may be not responsible for what happens to you with your parents because your parents are not where they need to be. You may not be responsible for that. Your parents may not be responsible for how you were trained and dealt with when you were a kid. You know what? But, you know, know, it's not about about if you're responsible or not. It's about what are you going to do with it now that you're saved and you have the ability to change everything in your life, to change everything in your family. That's the real question. But no, 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 no. We're going to go on dragging it out like this is some Greek tragedy, some play with 100,000 scenes of going through life, woe is me, blaming everybody else. Oh, 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 oh. Get a life. Verse 25. This is for us, all of us. He that is of a proud heart stirreth up strife, but he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Now this verse will be true in a universal sense across the board in a common truth about a proud heart. We've talked about this a lot in Proverbs. It will go along with all we have seen uh, through Proverbs dealing with people uh, who will cause division because they don't want to do what's right. They'll tell you they want to do what's right, but underneath the surface, it's always going on something else. But in our context here, it will be a reference to the child who will rob their parents of the honor that God has for them as the authority structure in a child's life. By their rebellion, their disobedience, they will continually 
be stirring up strife within the family. They'll tear up the family unit. There'll be no family ministry. Four or five kids in the family, allowing the older one to be rebellious in case as a domino effect, those kids will go down one at a time. He talks about becoming a panion to a destroyer. That's exactly what happens. One issue from another, one heartache from another, one problem from another. You know, many times when you have weak parents, the rebellious children will actually take over the family. They'll hold the family, mom and dad, hostage. Seen it happen many times. And the child will play, uh, you know, both ends against the middle. I've seen it when the child will get older and want nothing to do with the parents. And that will always bring a lot of strife. Now, what I'm about to say, I can't stress enough to you young parents how important it is to uh, begin that five-point process of training up your children at the very beginning. And the key to it, there's nothing magical about these five principles. We've talked about them before. There's nothing magical about anything I give you on Thursday night or Sunday morning. The real magic is not in what I give you. The real magic is will you be consistent in doing it? Because without consistency, just another, another thing you do. Another thing that happens. Yet no matter what your situation is, because of your earlier failures, I never fault anybody for those things because we all have our problems. My job is not to cast blame on anybody but to take any man, woman, mom or dad, boy, girl, whatever, who wants to do what's right and help you get established to where God wants you. We spend all our time in the past lamenting over what mistakes we made in the past. We'll never move forward in the future. You've got to forget those things that are behind. You've got to put them behind you. You've got to take stock in the fact that you're now in a church that teaches you the Bible. You've got a pastor that will walk through every bad time with you. You've got people who will work with you on every level where you're at. It's your choice whether you want to use that or turn against that. But no matter what your situation is, you can always do something. And I'm here to help you do that. My greatest asset is being a planner. Planning a way out of the mess that we are all in. And that is the key. You get in combat, the most valuable guy you can have is a guy who knows how to plan his way out of any circumstance you're in. That when you get cut off and you can't get out, you come to him and say, find us a way out of this mess. And 20 minutes later, he's back and he says, Captain, this is what we got to do. And we got a chance to get out of here if we do this. That's my job. You come to me with the biggest messes in life. You know what I'll do? Give me 20 minutes. Give me 10 minutes. Give me 30 seconds. And I'll give you a plan to get out of the mess you're in. So what if you don't do anything with it? Most people, they get going for a while and then because that old attitude, the way they are, the very people who try to help them now become the very people who they don't like anymore. Oh, my ministry, man. Are you kidding me? What do you think I like dogs so much for? I'll tell you, it's absolutely ludicrous of what some of God's people will do with the truth. Or better yet, won't do with the truth. But I'm going to tell you right now, walking backwards will never be easy. 
And I'll tell you the rule number one of life as far as I am concerned, and I carry this with me and think about it in every situation I find myself in every decision I got to make about life. And you better too, too. And the quicker you get it, the better off you'll be. I'm going to tell you right now, it takes longer to fix something than it did for us to break it. When it comes to mending families, relationships, marriages, it always takes longer that it took to break it. And just like the nation of Israel, when families go, churches go. And when churches go, God's plan goes. And when God's plan goes, the church goes and the family goes, the nation goes. Welcome to America in 2019. Then the last part of verse 25, he that putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made fat. Now, when it comes to the Bible and your spiritual relationship with God, I think the saying is, thin may be in, but fat's where it's at. (laughs) Now, that's because God uses the word fat or fatness in a good way spiritually. Now, I know in America, you hear it all the time. Obesity in America is, is, at, the, is at a national crisis. Kids overweight, it leads just to all kinds of health issues. I totally understand that. It's a, it's a tragedy. But in a biblical sense, every child of God should be obese when it comes to the blessings and the depth of the Word of God in your life. Last week, we looked at verse 20. A faithful man shall abound with the blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. You know, this is a time of year where it's getting into the winter time. And if you notice, the squirrels are much more active in your yards. I was over at Gary's the other day doing something. It was a nice day out, and I was up the back, and I saw six groundhogs running for their holes. And they, when they were ran, they were kind of cute because they're, they're, they had so much fat on them, they were just like <laughs> trying to run to the hole. And that's the way squirrels, squirrels are out there gathering their food for the winter. And the animals know that winter come time comes, it's tough. So they put on extra layers of fat that they can survive through the winter. And I'm telling you, for a child of God, that's pretty good advice. He says in Job, learn from the animals, they'll teach you. Winter time's going to come in some of our lives and you better have a good casing of fat around you, spiritually speaking, that you can live off of. Most Christians are not in very good health. They're basically junk food Christians. But when it comes to spiritually, they're anorexic. A child of God should never go on a diet spiritually. In the world, when we're undisciplined, we gain weight, get fat. In the spiritual sense, the key is discipline and you get fat. You get in that book and you lay it on. And I'll tell you something else. Fat in the Bible is always an interesting study for me. Because in Exodus Leviticus, you find the burning of the fat always had to do with something with a sacrifice that Christ made. And I'm going to tell you right now, spiritually speaking, the fatter you get, the more fat you put on, spiritually speaking, the more you're going to understand the sacrifice that Christ paid for you. 
Now, all through the Bible, God will use fat and fatness to illustrate how God will increase you in his blessings, enlarge you, the Bible talks about. Spiritually seeking, ladies, you ought to go from a size 4 to a size 20. Spiritually speaking. And don't stop there. Spiritually speaking, at some point in your life, you ought to get your spiritual clothes down to Kansas City tent and awning. <laughs> spiritually speaking. <laughs> Guys, spiritually speaking, I know, spiritually, physically, we all like the 33, 34-inch waist. But I'm telling you, spiritually speaking, you ought to be enlarged. When you fly on a plane spiritually and you had a spiritual section for you, they'd have to put two seatbelts together just to get you in the chair. God enlarges us. In fact, he says over there in, in, in Proverbs 13, 4, the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. He said in Proverbs fifteen thirty, the light of the eye rejoices the heart and a good report maketh the bones fat. In Isaiah 30, verse 23, he said, Then shall he give the rain to thy seed, and thou shalt sow the ground withal, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous. In that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures. Now that's a, that's a verse for Israel in the millennium. See how he used the word fat and fatness? In Ezekiel 45, 15, uh, And one lamb out of the flock of the 200, out of the fat pastures of Israel for a meat offering and for a burnt offering, for a peace offering, to make reconciliation for them, saith the Lord God. Again, Israel in the millennium. Notice the fat pastures. Genesis 27, 28. He says, I therefore, I, therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. Then in the same chapter in verse 39, he says, And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth. That's the blessing of Jacob and his family and his seed from God, the nation of Israel. Then in Psalm chapter 36, verse 8 and 9, he says this, They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink the river of pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, and thy light shall, be, shall we see light. That's the blessing of the fatness of God to David and his house. Notice the word light, the word of God. Notice the word drinking of the river of pleasure. That's a lot better than the sewer that most of God's people drink out of every Saturday night. Look at Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. Now here's a promise and a principle for everybody in this room this morning. Ho, every one that thirsteth, come to the waters, and he hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You see, you buy it without money because you put it on the account. Christ account. He already paid for it. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Then lastly, Romans eleven seventeen. Here it is. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive trees. Now, here the root source of our fatness for our soul. Here it is, Romans eleven seventeen. put an end to our study on fatness. It's the olive tree, and that olive tree will be the Lord Jesus Christ. It all starts and it all ends with our relationship with him. The olive tree, which forth comes the fatness, which, by the way, was the tree of life in Genesis chapter 3. 
the fatness of our own lives, the fatness of your children's life, the fatness of your family. Your house will be fat with the fatness of the Lord or your house will be diseased with leprosy. And you get to choose. As I said earlier, Psalms 127.4, you as a parent, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Nobody will shoot those kids through life. You will. Somebody, you say, well, I gym teacher or this person or this teacher or this guy or this gal uh, took my child away from me. No, no, no. What you did is put him in your car and drove him right over to them and said, here, have at it. You're in charge of your family. Now, this is a message for all of us on, on many levels. Kids robbing mom and dad of the honor and giving them the ability to have the final authority in your life at this point till you get your own relationship with the Word of God and you're out from under your family. Understanding that as parents, you're important of not only in this life, but training them the right way, putting those things in their life and understanding that our children are God's heritage. They're not ours. You're just the key, and it's your ownership that decides which way they go. Don't blame it on somebody else. You take it. It's yours. And when families fail, God's mission will fail. That's why in every case, because the parents have failed. It has to start with that. And I say it again. And I, this church stands as a testimony to what I'm about to say. The families over the last 16 years that have come into this church who have come to me and said, hey, look, we got in this light. We went to a church. We didn't get what we needed. We're starting to have some issues. And every case, every case, there was a plan put into effect that makes it work. I'm not saying it's going to work in an hour or two hours or a month or a year, but it will work because at the end of the day, this church holds everybody without God being a respecter of persons accountable on the same scale. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And God's plan to reach the world through families, generation to generation. It's our job in this church to take every mom and dad, every grandma and grandpa, every uncle who has a kid who is struggling. Maybe their parents are nowhere. Maybe they have no parents. Or maybe their parents are in this church and they don't want to do it. It's our responsibility by the manifestation of truth to give everybody in this room the opportunity to do what God's called you to do. If you're a young single right now, you ought to be preparing right now because the biggest disaster in your world that will take away everything that God has for you will be you simply marrying the wrong person. So you better start right there. You better understand what you need to look for. You need to understand that you can always bring them to me. What you can't see in your flashlight, mine is a lot brighter. (laughs) And it's a situation where we'll work together. We'll pull together. There's never, never, you know, Father Flanagan said something one time that he started Boys Town. And he he did a tremendous job. Unfortunately, he's in hell this morning. He's a Catholic priest. And you know, Boys Town is a Catholic organization. But he said something one time years ago, which was the thing that he really founded it on because he really loved boys. He loved those kids. And he said one time when somebody asked him why he was doing it, and he was a, boy, he, he worked a deal to get that thing going because he had nothing. Somebody asked him one time why he did what he did, and he simply said, because I really believe 
that there's no bad boy. Now, I don't I understand what he was saying, and from a Bible standpoint, obviously I don't agree with that because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but I am telling you right now, if you're saved here this morning, if you're saved here this morning and you're a young man or a young lady and you're struggling through life, what is good about you that doesn't make you a bad boy or girl is the Holy Spirit of God living inside you today. And as long as I have that, we have something to work with. If I have mom and dad in my corner over here and they're 100% and we're meeting and working through everything and talking and we're communicating back and forth and they're doing what I'm telling them to do, I don't care who you are. I get you in that same scenario on the other side. We'll make some things happen because the goal has to be that this church will only be as strong as the families and the families will only be as strong as the parents doing what needs to be done and the kids obeying those parents. And when the family fails, God's mission will fail. And the kids will develop an I don't care attitude, become complacent, and become a companion to a destroyer. And God's plan to reach the world through the family, generation after generation, goes out the window. The proud heart continues to stir up the strife. And the training of a child who won't do what's right also uh, you know, they're with a mom and dad when they, when they won't do what's right. The whole system breaks down. Parents blaming the kids when all the time the kids are only a spiritual picture of what the parents really are. Being made fat with the fatness of God's blessing in your family, but it starts in your own personal life with the olive tree. And again, in this church, you can eat all you want 24-7. John and the Christensen's will understand this. You guys have been on those cruise ships. John is, John's not here. He's hunting. But Betsy, is not it true that on a cruise ship, you can go down in the middle of the night and get a full buffet of food everywhere you go. They teach, feed you 24-7. You go out to the boats, the casino. I'm not telling you to do that now. You understand that. But if you would go out there and get out there and be a little gambling out there in the middle of the night, you can have all the, it's all food 24-7. You know, that's the way every church ought to be. Hey, if the world can do that, God's people ought to do that. I mean, you can you 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 have the you have the bookstore, you have the website, you have Sunday morning, you have Thursday night, you have the people ministry, you have the Bible Institute, you have the you know the principal classes that are taught, you have the one-on-one with with me or the people that you work with, the discipleship one and discipleship two. We have a smorgasbord going on here, twenty-four-seven, but it's all fundamental baked with one ingredient: truth. We have baby food for your young baby Christians. We'll take it and we'll cut up your little food for you so you don't choke on it. We'll get you little cans of that little applesauce and that stuff that looks like somebody already ate it and feed it to you real slowly. You can just take it down there and it tastes so good. You can even rub it on your face and get it all over. It's okay. That's what babies do. We're here for you. But then you'll grow up a little bit and we'll give you little kids food. Now we'll put away the baby stuff and we'll get you those little cans of beanie weenies. And we'll take those little suckers out and we'll cut them up so you don't choke on them, making sure you get it. Then a little bit later on, you grow a little bit, you get into the adult food. We'll go down to McDonald's after Bible study, two cheeseburgs and a medium diet Coke. (laughs) Then down the line someplace, you're a warrior, you're a soldier. 
And now you get seasoned meat. Sirloin steak, two inches thick. Roasting on the grill, all you want. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table anytime. And that's what it takes for everybody to get what they need. That's what it takes for every child of God on whatever level you are. How you came in. Young Christians who just drank out of the wrong water fountain and now you're a child. Or you older Christians that brought your kids in and you already were struggling and and here they are. Now we're going to work with you. Or you've lost your kids totally and completely and you want to say, what can I do? There's always something you can do. That's never the issue. The issue is, will you do what you need to do? There lies it. Because that's what it takes. And boy, that's a great proverb. That's a great proverb for you kids. That you better go out of here now and realize that there's a promise that comes with your disobedience and your rebellion. And whatever your mom and dad thinks your problem is or whatever you think your problem is or whatever your favorite little sin is that you think that's it, that's not it. It goes back to a fundamental law taught in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You disrespect and do not honor your father and your mother. That's where it all starts. Don't talk to me about fixing over here if you're not willing to fix that. Start doing what they say. And moms and dad, if you don't know how to put that together, that's what I'm here for. We'll make it work. I'm a planner. There's always a plan in the Bible. We'll go through the principles. We'll go through the Zacchaeus principle. We'll go through the prodigal son principle. We'll go through this Jacob principle. We'll go through this principle. We'll go through the Davidic principle. They're all there to put together to help you get what you need to get. Well, we'll hold up there. 